But right now, I'm, uh, I'm thrilled to be able to welcome um, Marcel Lebrun and Steve Patterson from 12 Neighbors, who are going to come and share with us. Um, Marcel and, uh, and Sheila have been friends of, uh, of our church for many, many years, and many of us have known them for a long time, a lot longer than I have known them. And uh, we've been so thrilled in the last uh, year or so that we've been able to partner uh, with 12 Neighbors as they have been uh, building their uh, mini homes, micro homes uh, in our warehouse. And uh, we've just been so excited to be able to partner with them and to, and to allow them to, uh, to, to build the homes there. I'm sure they'll say a little bit more about that themselves. Um, so uh, please do welcome Marcel as he comes to share with us. Good morning, good morning. How's everyone doing? What a gift of a day, isn't it? Like end of October and just what a month it's been. Um, so yeah, I'm one of the fellows making a mess and noise over on the other side of the room. Um, and my name is Marcel. I'm the founder of 12 Neighbors Community. And we have some other team members and community members here today. And I'll, I'll just uh, briefly mention them. So uh, Steve Patterson, who you'll meet in a second because he's going to come up as well is our director of community. And then you also, we also have a board member here, Barb Gallant, you probably know her, she's on our board, yeah. And then we have three community members in, in the back over there, one, one who's really important one is my wife, Sheila. She's, uh, she's one of our community facilitators, that, yeah. And then we have Marla. Marla was actually our second community member to move into 12 Neighbors, and she's our first to actually move out. So she's actually got a condo and she's moved out, but she's still part of our community, even though she doesn't live here. And Marla's a veteran, so, so also when, with the Remembrance Day coming around, uh, thank you for your service and great to have you here. <clears throat> and then uh, Ryan Joy, also in the back. Ryan's a nurse and he's a community facilitator on our team, and so he's here as well today. Yeah. So I can't really uh, even express how thankful we are for the gift of being able to partner with you in uh, this work. Uh, we would not be anywhere near where we are today. And we've just, in the early days of doing this, we had so many just clear divine appointments. And this was one, and I mean, we're so close to where the community is, and this has been just, I'm thankful every day for this space, for your support, uh, for, you know, even just how you uh, treat our folks that are in there. We have 15 carpenters that work here full-time, and we build a house. We work Monday to Thursday, and uh, we have a four-day rotating cycle, and we, we have a house going out the door every four days. So we're building a house a week, and moving that, so there's a house Monday that's moving Monday morning to the property. And uh, we have 29 um, houses, 30 is going to go out on Monday, <clears throat> and we're going to do that all winter. And we're going to have about 50 homes by the end of March. So that's uh, kind of where we're at. So I just want to really say thank you. Yeah. And, uh, and we look forward to you partnering in other ways as well. Steve's our, also our volunteer coordinator, so you can talk to him. But are you ready to get into some scripture? Put on your nerdy scripture, let's get into some things, because I want to share a few things on the question, what does it really mean to be home? And I want to unpack Luke 15 um, for you, and 
kind of asked that question, what does it mean to be home? So let's get into it. The first thing is, um, I really like looking, I, I've actually been really interested, I'm an engineer, so, you know, but I've been interested in poetry, which is kind of weird. Um, and you kind of can ask, like, why, why do we use, you know, what's the purpose, you know, of poetry and rhetorical structures and things like that, you know? And I mean, some, for some people that's obvious, right? I can ask a, a philosophical question, like, why did the chicken cross the road? Or I can say, you know, to cross or not to cross? That is the question. Of course, that's much more interesting, right? And so sometimes we use poetry to make things memorable. Sometimes we use poetry to communicate higher truths. And a lot of scriptures, a lot of parables, are in poetic structures, but sometimes we don't really notice them because they're translated in English and we might lose a little bit of the structure and the poetic connection between the, the words in the original language. So I'm going to kind of unpack Luke 15 a little bit for you. Uh, but to start, there's, here's the context. So it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law said, this man welcomes sinners and eats with, th eats with them. And so they're, they're, why, why is he doing that? And he answers them. And the way he answers them is with three uh, parallel stories. And each of those parallel stories are actually poems. They're in poetic structures. And so I'll kind of give you a little bit of that picture. But the way these three stories work, the use of parallelism sometimes, is kind of used for emphasis and balance. And the way this works, it's kind of like a song where you've got, you know, I can play you a, a, the final note of the song. And it doesn't mean nearly as much unless you heard the two, the two notes prior to that that build up the tension. And so this, these are three stories that go like da, da, da. And like the third note is like, you're like, you listen to the first one, you're like, okay, all right, I got you. And then the second one, I got you. And then the third one's like, boom, this is it. So let's kind of get into it. And I'll show you a little bit of what is in here. So the first one is ver verses four to six. So this is the first poem. And see when you're, when you're reading this, if you can kind of decipher the poetic structure, and I'll reveal it to you. So he says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And then when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together, and he says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. Now, a little bit of context. Um, you, you all know this, I'm sure, but at, at the time, Israel was living as a nation uh, under Roman occupation. And so the Roman government, um, the nation of Israel was subject to the Roman government, and so they had to pay taxes not to their government, but to Rome. And tax collectors were recruited from their own people. So there were Israeli tax collectors like Zacchaeus, right, that you, we all know about. But these people were considered traitors. Why did they become a tax collector? Why did they decide to work for the Roman government and collect taxes on their behalf? In fact, they were so um, rejected that if you look at some Jewish Talmuds and rabbinical orders, um, sacrifices could not be offered on their behalf in, in, the, in the temple. They were like forever, you know, cast out. In fact, if, if a tax collector entered your house, your entire house was unclean, was deemed unclean. So 
As a tax collector, you would have been a marginalized, rejected person. And Jesus is hanging out with them. And they're like, why are you doing that? And this is his answer. So he answers with these three poems. So the first one, he talks about these sheep. Now, here is the structure, if you haven't seen it. It's called a chiastic structure. And it's used a lot in Hebrew uh, structure, but not as much in our language. A lot of times we say A, B, C, D, E, therefore G. You know, we kind of, the end of the thing is usually the conclusion. But in a chiastic structure, the middle is the conclusion, and you arrive at it through a line, and then you, you have a parallel line back out. It's called inverse parallelism, and that's the structure we have here. So we have, suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them, does he not leave the 99 in the open country, go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then when he gets home, he says to his friends, rejoice with me, for I have found the lost sheep. And the whole point of the structure points to the answer, which is they belong home. Home is the point of the story and it's right there in the middle and so what does it mean to be home and so he's he's saying well why am i hanging out with these tax collectors well let me tell you this story and so there's this sheep and it's displaced and it belongs home and that's really important and so that's why i'm here i need to get them back home and, and if i can do that it would be a joyful thing. So that's the first parallel structure. Then the next one, he brings it up a notch. So now the note's getting up a little higher. This is verse 8 to 9. He says, well, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends or neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. So again, we've got the chiastic structure, but now note two. And you notice in the first instance, he's like, well, you lost one out of 99 sheep. Is that, is that a lot of value? Uh, you know, but it's enough value, I got to go bring it home. Okay, if you don't think that's valuable, how about one out of 10 coins? You know, if you, if you and I lost 10% of our net worth, we'd probably look around for it right? And so, so one of 10 coins, so it's taking it up a notch, and the listeners are going, yeah, okay, yeah, I'd probably, you know, but the coin belongs home. The other thing that's interesting, if you observe, is um, what does it mean to be home? Um, home is not actually a concept of place in here. Home is a relational concept. It's it's being with a person, not in a place. So the sheep didn't really need to be back in the pasture. The sheep needed to be back with the shepherd. That is the place of safety. And here the coin's already in the house, you know? It's not really lost. It's just not with the person, you know, who owns it. And so there's this concept of home, but it's very much a relational uh, concept in here. Okay, now we're going to go to the big note. This is like the big elaboration, and this also follows the structure, but
but it's a little harder to see because it's a longer story, but we'll, we'll break it apart. Okay, let's read this together. I think my battery may be dying, so I don't know if someone can advance that for me. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Oh. Um, back up one. One more. Yeah, go forward. Okay, thank you. All right, so now we're in the third, third story. So the third story, Jesus continued. He says, now there was a man who had two sons. So we went from 99 sheep to 10 coins to two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So they divided the property among them. Not long after that, the younger son got together. All he had set off to a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he'd spent everything, there was severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to citizens of the country who sent him as fields to feed his pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Then he came to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll sit out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So then he got up and he went to his father. And so, next slide. But while he's a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion. He was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And then he said, the son said to the father, Father, I've sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast. For this son of mine was dead and now he's alive. And the final chiastic structure is closed out, for he was lost and is found Let's begin to celebrate. And so one more slide. And what I'm going to do is just kind of break this down a little bit. Go ahead. And yeah, OK. So check this out. So the very first step, what happens? There's some kind of cause, right? In this case, father, give me my share of the estate. So how did the sheep get lost? It just wandered off. It's kind of dumb, right? It, it, it just didn't stay with the pack, <clears throat> you know. How did the coin get lost? Yeah, like to no fault of its own, right? The coin had no choice to get lost. It, it, something happened to it, you know. The sheep did something kind of innocently off. The coin did nothing. But the son made a choice. You know, the son said, I want to get out of here. The son made a bad choice and rejected his family, rejected his father, and said, let me get out of Dodge and give me my money, right? But you'll notice that um, in this story, uh, Jesus, even though there's three different ways of getting lost, he doesn't focus on any of, any of those. So there's a cause here. 
But then what happens is the, the poem goes through the story, and, and the first step is he's lost. It says, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. So that's the consequence, the circumstantial consequence of being lost, of being displaced. And I call that a poverty of circumstance. And so, you know, we, we've all experienced that in various levels, whether it's, you know, a health thing or a financial thing or whatever. But what happens is, you see in this story, is that the poverty of circumstance leads to the poverty of identity. So he's out there and he's experiencing this consequence of his decision of being away from his father. And then he starts thinking, well, maybe I'm not who I thought I was. And now he develops a poverty of identity. And he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called his son. And we could have a debate, is that, is he right? You know? And you might say, well, on the one hand, maybe he's right because he certainly hasn't earned his son status. But has he actually lost, you know, his son status? In his mind, he has. Has he in others' minds? And Jesus is kind of revealing the mind of the father here toward his uh, lost sons. And so then, the middle of the poem, he got up and went to his father. So again, it points back to home. He gets up, chooses to go back to the father. And then the found part is the restoration. And his father sees him, does not even talk about the circumstances, does not talk about the consequences of the decision, does not talk about how he got there. He basically loves him and reminds him that he was cherished the whole time. You know, that never changed, even though he might have thought, my father probably doesn't value me anymore. But he's like, no, you're wrong. The father always did. So filled with compassion, he ran and he kissed him. And now comes the restored identity. He's like, I, I'm going to be your servant, like put me to work, which again, on a merit system, you'd say that's probably right. He should go work. But he's like, no, you've forgotten who you are. Let's put a ring on your finger and let's get the best robe and put it on and let's restore his identity. And then they began to celebrate. And so um, what does it mean to be home? First of all, it's so important that we're in this place called home that he's willing to leave the 99 or the nine coins or whatever to make that happen. And, and Jesus is answering this as to this is why I'm hanging out with people who are displaced because they need to be in this place called home. And two, that place is a relational concept. And so here, home is what? Went to his father. Not went to his old bedroom, you know, went to his father. It's a restoration of that relationship. That's what home is. And so then, how can we participate in that, that work that God is doing? And so, the answer's right here. There's two things. One is, is help people understand that they are cherished and loved. You know, that's the number one thing we can do. And two, I use a term uh, like 
we do a lot of excavating, you know, in the 12 Neighbors community, we're excavating stuff. And, uh, uh, you know, like archaeologists, they're always excavating and trying to find buried things. And uh, sometimes um, we lose sight when, when we're hanging around uh, people, other people, we lose sight that they are bearers, you know, of the image of God. You know, sometimes when we start describing the gospel, uh, I know I was taught we start in Romans 3.23, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's where we start the story. But actually, it starts in Genesis 2, where God says, and male and female, he made them in our image. We created them in the imago Dei. We made them. So we are bearers of the imago Dei. But that image might be kind of buried a little bit below the dirt because of circumstances, because of wandering off innocently, because of something that happened to us that we had no control, or because of bad decisions. We wander off, and now the imago Dei has kind of been stepped on and run over, and we get to be archaeologists of the imago Dei in other people. So, so going around and going, you know what, I see the Imago Dei in you, and I'm going to scratch it out a little bit. And this is what the Father's doing. He's putting a ring on his finger. He's like, I'm, I'm bringing back this kind of, you don't, you may not, maybe you don't believe this narrative that you should have this ring on your finger, but I'm going to tell you that it's true, and I'm going to put that ring back on your finger. And so that's kind of the work that that we do at 12 Neighbors. And yes, we're building houses, but that, that, and that's important. People need warm and safe places to live. But we really want to be archaeologists of the Imago Day and people. Uh, the other day I had, um, uh, you can come up, Steve. The other day I had a, a community member um, who I uh, observed. Um, uh, kind of doing an act of reconciliation. So someone had said something to someone else, and, and he went to that person and said, you know, I don't think that was entirely fair. And that person received it, and then went to the other person and reconciled, and, and I was really impressed. And I, I went up to him, and I said, I have a new, I have a new, uh, I got a bunch of names for him, you know. I said, I have a new name for you. I said, a son, son of God. And he goes, why would you call me that? I said, well, the, the scripture says that blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be known as the sons of God. And I said, and what a, you're a peacemaker. You just did something that's a peacemaker. And why are they going to be called the sons of God? Because they're reflecting God, like they're doing the thing that he's doing. He didn't really receive the fully the statement, but that's, that's, that's the work. That's the seeing the imago Dei in people and calling it out and inviting it forward. And that's what God's doing when he's putting us on his shoulder and rejoicing and going back and saying, you know, I have lost what I found. Yeah, so um, I'm going to end with a, a poem since we're talking about poems. If you watch our Facebook page, you might have seen this poem. I, I, I wrote it about a month ago, inspired by a couple of community members. Um, and it's called Not Unseen. Um, and I, I had a few some various community members talk about how invisible they felt. And uh, so this, this came from some obs observations, and I'll end it there, and then Steve will take over from that. Oh, by the way, have you ever done, have you ever been to poetry stuff? So the way you participate, if you like a line or something, 
You go like that. Okay, so we'll get you doing. We'll get you doing that. I'll, I'll try to remember it, but I have my phone in my pocket in case I forget. Okay. Hey neighbor, I see your quandary. I see you making choices that don't feel like choices, surrounded by voices, noises that infect your identity, that confuse it chemically. But that's not you. I see you. You are more than the worst thing you've ever done. You are more than the worst thing that's ever happened to you. Do you remember that day when your eyes first filled with light? You were wonderfully made like a tiny mirror reflecting divine light. Beautiful, valuable, full of potential, loved. It's all still there. It's all still there. It's all still there. Check your other pocket, neighbor. It's been there the whole time. Can you see it? And there's a pencil in that pocket so you can rewrite this story line by line, make it rhyme, pick a beat that drums your heart full. I see you, neighbor. I see you becoming free, surrendering that sword, surrendering, laying down that old shield, that broken shield that never really protected you anyway. Release those demands so you can open your hands. That old freedom wasn't free anyway. This new one is. And I see you, neighbor, I see you becoming full, doing the work that works, excavating hope in your heart. Uh, doing the work that works, excavating hope in your heart, that engine that powers your soul and lights a fire in your belly and makes your heart heal, believing, little by little, that you are cherished. Hey, neighbor, you are cherished. Thank you.